You're listening to the number one podcast for nonprofit leaders, getting your nonprofit fully funded. This is the Fundraising Masterminds Podcast. They push back on those kind of strategies because all they can see is I spend a dollar, but I get 50 cents back. Well, how ridiculous is that? But they're not seeing two, three, four, five years. They're going to not only make up the difference, but they're going to quadruple that investment. Right. And they end up cutting back all the way to the bone. I've never seen an organization that's cut their way to success. Well, welcome back to another episode of Fundraising Masterminds. Today, we are starting a new series, which we are calling the Nonprofit Survival Guide. Yes, So over the next three weeks, we are going to be discussing three things to avoid as a nonprofit leader. They're like traps, right? Yeah, stay away. And these are very common things that we see nonprofits falling into, getting tripped up over. Yep. And uh, so over the course of the next three weeks, we're going to have nine things. Right. Uh, right. But we didn't want to cover all nine things in one podcast episode. Yeah. That would be a lot. It would Uh, be an enormous amount. And so we're just going to break it up into three. Right. Uh, This week, we're going to do probably the most important things all the way to the top three. Yeah, the top three. So uh, before we get into it. If you wouldn't mind subscribing to this podcast, that would be awesome. If you're watching us on YouTube, just hit that subscribe button. It only takes a second. Yeah, you won't want to miss the next two uh, parts for sure. So definitely subscribe. If this content is helpful to you, let us know. Write us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. And be sure to share these episodes with your friends, especially other nonprofit leaders, because they're going to benefit from these. Chances are, Jason, many of their friends will be making the same mistakes that we've seen here. So, uh, yeah, trap number one is a lack of strategic planning. Right. Yeah, Jason, I can't tell you how many organizations I've worked with over the years that pretty much just muddle through days, weeks, and years. They are so caught up in the momentum of life. All they're doing is managing momentum. Mm -hmm. They are not getting above the fray, above the situation to look forward to what they hope to accomplish. So many organizations set mission, vision, and values, and those should be their guiding principles, and that should direct their path. But unfortunately, too many of those organizations, even the same organizations, don't actually do strategic planning. They don't determine what their priority projects, their programs are. They don't determine their past steps. They don't determine what it is that is going to get them from point A to point B. They possibly somehow get caught up in a wake that may take them from point A to point B. But trying to get to point Z, uh, that is just so far away from them. And they go through years just muddling through because they don't have a good strategic plan. And I've even had an organization, there's actually one organization from my hometown that um, we are trying to get them to do a vision dinner, which we would consider to be strategic planning, right? right? A strategic thing that you can do to grow. Yeah. Uh, But they just have this mindset of, oh, God will provide and, you know, we just need to let God provide and, and which, I mean, it is true that Mm -hmm. God knows our needs. Uh, A lot of people use like George Mueller as an example of like, he just prayed and God just gave him money and it was fine. And, but 
what a lot of people don't know is George Mueller actually wrote a lot of strategic letters. That's right. right? Targeted to people. You want to talk about that a little bit? Oh, absolutely. Well, it's a fallacy, certainly, that all George Mueller did was pray. Certainly, pray was an important component. And both you and I pray for all of our efforts, and especially as we're raising money. But George Mueller didn't just pray. He sent his kids out into the streets. He wrote letters to strategic individuals, uh, not maybe specifically asking them in the direct mail way that we do today, but he certainly mentioned his needs and people gave as a result of those kinds of things. So people don't think strategically these days. First of all, they don't adapt to change. Change is a constant in an ever-changing world and we know that change needs to be part of our process we need to be able to adapt adhere be flexible to change Mm -hmm. and so that's one of the biggest problems that nonprofit organizations have they don't do well dealing with change and they don't adapt to the change i have got individuals that i have talked to that i work with that are still using the same principles that they used in the 1980s i can tell you that even though we have formulated a model that I use the framework of the model that we created in the 1980s. The principles and the practices that we used in 1980 resemble nothing like the yeah, the, what you're doing the now. Principles of right. the perfect the, vision the, dinner. The principles today. are the same, but right. the way you apply the principles exactly are changed. totally different. Yeah. And we had to adapt to changes in that because people changed, environments change, locations change, interests change, uh, what what motivates people change. Yeah. So much has changed. But when you're talking about strategic planning, though, you're really talking about development, strategic right. development planning. Right. And what we mean by that isn't like building buildings, like you know the word development might mean to a engineer like coding, right? Right. right. Like I, we used to buy developers to make software, or if you're building a house, you get a, you hire a developer to build your house, right? right? We're not talking about that stuff. Nope. We're talking about development, meaning uh, working on your nonprofit, right? Growing monthly partners right. is what we refer to as development, right? right? And growing monthly partners requires a focus on relationships, right? right? That's right. And uh, there's strategic ways to get to know people. There's right. strategic ways to be introduced to people. Right. There's strategic ways to, for people to find out about you other than just, you know, getting a mass email or a phone call. Right. You know, there's, yeah. uh, there's events, there's certain events that work better than others. There's, um, there's promotions, there's all kinds of things you can do. So right. when we're talking right. about a lack of strategic planning, mm-hmm. essentially, you know, you're just doing the ministry, which a lot of, a lot of people are doing great work. It's a lot of the same problems that entrepreneurs get stuck into. I actually fell into this trap when I was starting um, my software company, Ministry Sync or Fundeasy as it's called now. So I found myself working in the business and not on the business. That's right. Right. That's and right. so I'm, I'm in the day to day, I'm doing That's all right. this stuff. Customers are calling me and I'm like, you know, bouncing back and forth and being really busy working in, but I had no time to actually develop the yes, business, right? That's right. And so as a result, the business uh, kind of floundered a bit here and there. And and that's what happens with nonprofits. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. the, the businesses that really do well tend to be the franchise businesses. That's right. And the reason why franchise businesses do well is because someone at some point in time 
actually had to pull out of the business. That's right. And like say, okay, if I want to replicate this, like McDonald's is really good in the fifties. If I want to replicate this, I have to actually create a framework for how everything is done and you know, how the accounting is done, how the menus are done, how, how the customer service right. is done, everything right. has to be written down, systematized and thought through so it can be reproduced. Right. Right. And it, someone had to actually stop working, flipping burgers for a while to like figure that out. Right. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. but then once they took the time to do that right. and it was able to actually be tested and replicated. Right. Now you've got something that can grow. That's you know? right. That's and right. That's what we need to do with yeah. nonprofits. Yeah. The issue comes up often of resource misallocation because what happens when you don't have a strategic plan, you tend to misallocate your resources. You don't put the people, you don't put the money, you don't put the uh, activities, the strategies, the technology into proper use. You don't put them where the priorities are at. You put them out there and almost like you're shotgunning versus a rifle approach to things. Right. And so that's one of the biggest problems that happen too, mm -hmm. is that your resources are not properly allocated. And that's, that's gonna burn out your staff, it's gonna frustrate people, you're gonna not be spending your money wisely, and you're certainly not gonna use your tools correctly. Right. All those kinds of things all come from poor strategic planning. And of course, we have difficulty in measuring our impact because when you don't plan, you don't have goals, you don't have objectives, you can't measure how effective your efforts and your processes are being. Hmm. And without the goals, you're really just out there floundering. If I know I want to go to California and I live in Orlando, but I have not set out the path, it's going to take me 10 times further to get to California right. because I've not set out a pathway okay. and it's going to be exactly the same way if right. you don't do a plan. Okay. So I understand that nonprofits lack strategic plan, right. but how do we, what's the solution here? Like how do we get a strategic right. plan? Well, a lot of times you just have to seek ex expert advice. You need to seek someone who does do strategic planning. And once again, you need to have someone that can hold you accountable, that can coach you along to help keep you above the fray. Uh, someone who you trust that you can bring along and say, if I start to deviate from from this plan and I start to get into the enterprise instead of working on the enterprise like you talked about earlier, uh, someone that essentially comes alongside you and says, hey, Jason, just want to let you know you're getting down into the weeds and yeah. you need to come up here and right. begin to work on the process. Finding wise counsel, finding someone who will hold you accountable mm -hmm. and also can to working through it as a team. Too many leaders try and do this all by themselves and don't pull in their staff. They don't want to be vulnerable because they don't know what to do. So they just keep doing it. But unfortunately, what happens is they're digging themselves <laughs> deeper and deeper yeah. in the hole. Right. And uh, and the, the one thing you need to do when you get caught in a hole is stop digging. Yeah, that's really good advice. It's important to uh, find people who are experts yeah. in the development field and that can help you with that strategic. Right. Um, okay, well, yeah. let's get into this second trap yeah. that people fall into. Second trap is called mission drift. And there have literally been 
books written about Mission Drift. It has become a popular phrase out there, especially in missions work and in organizations. But Mission Drift is essentially getting away from the mission and the area of focus that your organization was created to exist. Every nonprofit organization, if you research them, were created to solve a problem. And when your organization gets off target and starts to respond to issues and tasks and and questions that are not related to their original mission that they were created to to do that's what's called mission drift you start to drift off your original okay so i understand the concept of mission drift but do we have any like stories or examples of this actually happening in real life i I can't well you know it's it's funny i I have seen organizations veer off target over the years um you know i'm thinking of organizations like YMCA, uh, YWCA, that started as Christian organizations, but have very little roots in Christianity anymore. Uh, Texas Christian University is an example. Uh, Those individuals that I've seen who go there and what I know about TCU, uh, Christian is about the only time you're even, th- their name's the only time you hear Christian. Uh, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, many of our founding uh, universities out there. You probably even say the United States of America was founded, you know, on Christian on principles. On Christian values and principles, and, yeah. You know. Many of those Ivy League schools have since veered way off their target of being Christian universities. But so wouldn't is, someone just say, you know, uh, it's not really mission drift. That's just like the board evolved, right? So yeah. the board decided that we're no longer going to be Christian anymore. So they, they redefined yeah. the mission. That's, yeah. Is that the same thing as mission drift? Well, or? I, I believe it is because uh, at once again, when something drifts off target, it, it doesn't take a hard right it slowly drifts off and so this is not mission hard left mission hard right this is mission drift so what happened was that many of those organizations just didn't all of a sudden stop being a christian organization there were slow decisions that were made over time the boy scouts of america great example of an organization that was literally hundreds and hundreds of years old but got to the point where within a few decades it had completely drifted off its mission and is now on life support where it may not exist i was an eagle scout my son was an eagle scout and those organizations do not resemble what it was when i was a boy scout and even really when my son was a boy scout Mm. and that was only 20 years ago so Mm. if they immediately took a hard left or right people would would push back but they slowly moved off that so how do we avoid mission drift because i i know a lot of it has to do with leadership right right? like billy graham had a passion right right for evangelism and you just can't replace billy graham or you know bill bright Bright. and so the people coming after i mean they're not they're just not going to have the same 
calling. Well, you you actually have stumbled on something very important. And what that is, is that typically mission drift happens after the founder passes away or moves on. The organization uh, in the first generation, it's very similar, but with small nuances, it changes. And then the next generation, small nuances. The next generation, small nuances. To the point where you look back and you say, this organization does not look at all like it did when the founder came in there. Uh, the founder usually sets out principles. Now, we really see how effective the founder was by how long the principles values last generation to generation campus crusade is an example or crew uh, we all have the dna in us for helping to fulfill the great commission in this generation but even with crew that dna gets altered a little bit it gets changed and what looked like the original vision of, of Bill Bright and, right. and crew uh, can can somewhat change and somewhat alter. Right. Uh, we are very close and we've got a lot of individuals who walked with Dr. Bright who are there to continue to keep his mission and vision going forward. But over time, even an organization like Campus Crusade yeah. could change. So how can nonprofit leaders avoid the trap of mission drift uh, if this is something that happens over time, you know, what can we do in our nonprofit now? Yeah. How can we instill things in our, in our nonprofit now to prevent mission drift yeah. from happening? From my standpoint, the things that I have seen that either keep us from drifting or get us back on target when we are drifting is really getting back to the original mission and the original values of that. One of the phrases that Bill Bright used to use quite often was that he always wanted to stay with his first love, which was his first love was Jesus Christ. And, and we have a number of individuals now that are helping us continue to remember that it's important that we stay with our first love, that we don't allow the things of the world and the things of our society to alter that ultimate love, which is our first love mm -hmm. of Jesus Christ. Right. And so it's, it's just that constant reminder of why we were created, our organization, why it was created, and what we hope to accomplish, and, and make an attempt to return back to those original values and the original mission. And I don't mean turn back the clock and, and no. go from 2023 to oh. 1950, but go back yeah. to the principles. Well, see, I'm wondering, did Bill Bright by any chance record any of his ideas? Oh, Bill that Bright. People can listen to you. Bill Bright is still writing books today, uh, even even though he's been passed away since 2003. Uh, yes, it's so many of the things Bill Bright did were recorded, were caught on video, were recorded and put into books. And do people who work for Crew are they required to listen to that or read certain things? Many about him? do, but remember, there's a difference between. Uh, knowing Jesus and knowing of Jesus. There's a difference between knowing Abraham Lincoln and knowing of Abraham Lincoln. And we are really getting to the point in crew as an example, and I don't want to 
go just down the example of Gru. But there's a lot of people that know of Bill Bright, but they didn't know Bill Bright. I was, I am now being part of a smaller and smaller minority of people who actually knew Bill Bright, knew his views, his principles. I lived day to day with him and and were in the inner circle and making decisions with him as his personal assistant. But there were a lot of people nowadays who Bill Bright was could have been Abraham Lincoln for all they know, just because he's a name in a history book is all he is right. to some of our leaders today. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that they're not trying hard there, but there's a difference between knowing of someone and truly knowing them. I don't know if this is getting off track, but what's interesting is like you have a company like McDonald's, which has been around for like 50 plus years. Yeah, almost, and, 60, almost 60 years. And yeah. I mean, they're pretty much doing the same thing that they were doing. I mean, they wanted to have, I mean, I guess they're offering different products. They weren't doing coffee products back in the 50s, you know, so they've changed, but they're generally on the same. I guess they're not really. <laughs> and that's why they've lost so many customers that's why the chick-fil-a's of the world are taking over because they've lost you know the the freshness the the uh the convenience the quality the price the uh i mean there's just yeah Yeah. even they've veered off yeah i guess so do do you remember the days of ibm being the rulers of the world ibm was before my time but apple was yeah kind of my thing well and And apple's still hanging in there still hanging in there but but xerox xerox was one of the major players at one time hardly ever hear about xerox anymore ibm ibm ruled the world ibm was the apple of its day nobody ever thought big blue would ever go under well, and see, Apple is, I think Apple is starting to lose. The lose because, luster, too. I mean, the luster's coming Because the off thing the that I really loved about Apple was its whole innovative thing. Exactly. I, I just yeah. don't feel like yeah. they're innovating well, anymore. Well, and what it's happened? Like, the, the innovator, the founder died. Right. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say earlier. A lot right. of times, you know, you lose that. There's no way that Tim Cook has been able to keep the same innovative plans and strategies he's he's still got innovative people with him but nobody right had the innovation mindset that's it just kind of shows me that you know as a as a founder or as a leader it's just really important that you mentor people and raise up new leaders i mean because i don't think i mean no one can replace you right no one can replace me that's right but but the more that people spend time with you Right. right. The more that they right. can rub off on you and they can learn your values. Right. And that's something that only really happens through a close relationship. That's right. And so I think it's it's important if you're running a nonprofit, um, especially a larger organization that has a lot of where you have a lot of influence right now. That's right. It's important that you start mentoring people. You know, I'm thinking of, um, you know, a guy who runs a, a counseling ministry in Chicago. Right. And he ran it for 25 years. Yeah. And he was the visionary. He was like the entrepreneur right. in a way, starting it and everything. But his son, you know, is now the director of it. And he's probably really qualified to be the director because he knows his dad really well. Right. They spent so much time together. Yeah. And he knows the he has the same kind of DNA, you know, in there. And but even that I would have to probably say he's probably brought on his different nuances that are probably different. 
right. than his father. Yeah. Now, the third one is really, really uh, a hot button for me. Okay. And it's scarcity mentality and over-focusing on ROI. Okay. Let me think about that. Scarcity mentality right. and over-focusing on ROI. So right. So this is a trap. It is. So you're it's, saying that nonprofits are falling into scarcity mindset all the time. Right. It, it's, it actually is the perfect storm. You've okay. got, you remember we, we, we've talked so often about the abundant mentality. Yeah. That is thinking and knowing that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and that God is going to provide, provide yep. in every case with mm-hmm. no exception mm-hmm. that God will provide. Now the scarcity mentality is the flip side. It's the other side is that whether they like it or not, they might in their mind say God's going to provide, but they act like God won't provide. They act like God's on his last dime. And as a result, the outcome of that is that they focus too much on the bottom line. They start to overcompensate. They start to cut back on staff. They cut, start to or they cut start back to, on resources. Yeah. They get tight. They get stingy. They don't test things anymore. They don't, uh, they don't go out there and look for innovative ways of things. They focus in on, is this having the return on the investment yeah. that it needs to be? You know what a startup program a startup program barely makes money. When I do new donor acquisition mailings, do you know how much I get back I, on a dollar? I get 50 cents back on a dollar. Yeah. I can't tell you how many organizational leaders have pushed back on those kind of strategies because all they can see is that I spend a dollar, but I get 50 cents back. Well, how ridiculous is that? But they're not seeing that given two, three, four, five years, they're going to not only make up the difference, but they're going to quadruple that investment. But leaders will get to the point where they'll forget that. And they end up cutting back all the way back to the bone. And I can tell you this, Jason, and I've coined this phrase because I've said it a long time. I've never seen an organization that's cut their way to success. Uh, I have been involved with leaders. I have served with leaders. I have served under leaders who have tried to cut their way through success. And all it's done is frustrated staff. It's demoralized teams. And it's it's semi-buried organizations. I've experienced that too with uh, some businesses. And uh, I've seen business leaders who are, um, they have the scarcity mindset, right? Where it's like, uh, we need to make a profit. So in order to do that, instead of like innovating and selling more and you right. know, trying to grow, right. it's, uh, well, we need to end the year with a profit. So what, what things can we cut so that we are black, right. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. And it's like, well, that's not exactly helping us in the long run. Right. That, there might be some short term benefit, but in the long run, you know, you actually need to just figure out how to grow, right. you know, right. and that takes a little right. bit of forethought. We actually see this in the nonprofit sector quite a bit. Well, as you all know, we offer a mentorship program two times a year where uh, we walk you through the process of putting on a perfect vision dinner. And uh, the the process is essentially, you know, we're going to show your team how to uh, plan a dinner, how to put on a dinner, what kind of event it should be, what kind of venue it should be at. Uh, But it's not just logistical things uh, like, you know, how to do it. 
But we also share all the ways of how to actually grow your organization through this event. So more of the strategic thing, right? And a lot of times I tell people over the phone, our goal is to get 50% new potential partners in the room, right? So we're not just trying to have an appreciation event where we just invite the mailing list and have, that's a lot of mistakes that people do is they just, they have a gala every year and they just invite everybody. It's a big party, you know? Yeah. And, and then they wonder, well, why can't we seem to get more money from our galas? Well, because you're inviting the same people and the more you do that over and over and over, the more it, it, um, you know, it doesn't grow. Right. right. And so the point I'm trying to make is that we offer a mentorship program where we help you actually grow. You know, we, we've seen organizations raise 100% more money or 200% more money as a result of them going through the program. So the program obviously pays for itself, it probably 10 times over. Right. But organizations will look at the cost of the mentorship program and say, ugh that's a little bit of money there. And I don't, I don't think we can afford yeah. that or, yeah. or maybe, you know, we'll just keep doing the same thing over and over. And, uh, you know, what I always like to say is, well, um, I mean, you can do the same thing over and over, but you're not gonna, you know, the definition of insanity yep. is yep. doing the same thing yep. over and over and expecting a different result. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you feel like you're stuck, yep. And yep. you feel like you, you can't seem to get to the yep. next level or yep. you, you always yep. have the same partners yeah. and you, and a lot of people make up excuses. Yeah. They're like, wow, we live in a small community and there's just not a lot of people around here. And, yeah. or this one I hear a lot, you know, well, there's a couple of pregnancy centers in town and you right. know, we're all right. sharing the same, uh, donors. So, you know, I, we have to be careful. We yeah. can't do too much. Yeah. And yeah. It's like, well, Kelly, and that one catches God off surprise. Uh, you know, it just catches him <laughs> well, off guard. I'm always saying he doesn't well, realize that there's other centers there. Yeah, and uh, and and so he he would he would not know how to handle that. Right. Well, and and I always tell him, you know, our job is to help you find new partners. Right. That's priceless. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if we can help you get, you know, three thousand yeah. dollars more a month, or five thousand dollars more a month, yeah. or yeah. you know, what is that worth yeah. to you? Would you be willing to pay a little bit to get? Yeah. More monthly partners. Yeah. And you know, know, Jason, I feel like that money becomes blinders to their eyes yeah. because we can show people that you give us $1, we'll give you five, six, seven $7 back in return. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, but I have to spend it. I have to give you a dollar. <laughs> yes, but I'm going to give you five or six back. Yes, but I have to spend a dollar. Y yes, you do. <laughs> and, and they can't get over that. Right. Yes, but I have to give you a dollar. Jim, if I could make a machine that every time you put a dollar in, right. you got three back. Yes. How many dollars would you put into that machine? I would put every <laughs> dime that I had in there. Right. But there are people who complain that they have to put a dollar in there. Yeah. I. I it just boggles my mind. Uh, this spring... We did a training, and we had we had individuals that went through our latest graduation class that saw a hundred, hundred and fifty, two hundred percent growth in their income. Yeah, and and yet 
I mean, we could put that out before people, and they still say to us, but I have to spend a dollar to do that. <laughs> and it boggles me. And that's why I say it. that's where that scarcity mentality becomes a blinder, and it cripples you. Yeah. It cripples you from growing. Well, you it know, just I really think, boils down to trust. I think they, it just, does. they just don't does. trust that it works. Well, you know, And we can show people that, hey, this person did it, yeah, this yeah, person did yeah, it, this person yeah. did it. And the perfect vision dinner is an example of of the scarcity mentality problem right 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 but i guess what i'm saying is we're we're teaching principles of biblical stewardship right right and and ultimately you know the vision dinner is a is an act of faith right right that's right we're having a complimentary event Mm -hmm. and you have to trust that god is going to provide right and we know that that um 99% 99% of the time he does, right. you know, there's probably a point one zero 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 one time that he hasn't, Yeah. you know, but I mean, has there ever been a vision dinner that you've never even broken even? Oh, Jason, I mean, going back to the 1980s, maybe early nineties, when we were just trying to figure out this model of what to do before we even tried the table host that we had a few dinners early on that broke right. even but no, i said have it, you ever lost money oh well like, i mean to jason, the point where like you've I never said, have we ever yes jason yes in the very begin you know 40 almost 40 years ago when when we used we're using hand puppets right you know on stage and not videos in those days right. um yes there were times in the but early in the, on, it, but but now but, that you've got it nothing down. jason in any of the recent decades yeah. we we have not decades no. decades <laughs> it's been decades well uh if you found this episode to be helpful please subscribe uh, on youtube or on spotify or apple podcast uh, we would love for you to hear the next two episodes because this is part one of our nonprofit survival guide uh, we've got two more parts coming and we're going to be doing three more traps per episode and it's coming in the next two weeks uh, so you definitely don't want to miss that so subscribe and click that bell so yeah, you're notified click that bell. the next video and, uh, again if if there is something that we said that you disagree with or uh, you agree with or whatever uh, let us know in the comments let us know why you disagree or why you agree or or if you have another trap you want to mention in there go ahead and mention that we'd love to hear from you um, and also, we did talk about the Perfect Vision Dinner mentorship yeah. program, and uh, I'm going to put a QR code on the screen right now. And if you are wanting to check that out a little bit, uh, it is a really great program. It's your opportunity to be able to work directly with Jim and I, and we are we would love the opportunity to serve your organization and help you guys get to the next level. So if you're interested in that, we only offer the program two times a year. All right. So it's not something that you can just jump on whenever you feel like it. It's a, it's an actual live program where we take you through a specific timeline and we walk through, we hold your hand through the process and work directly with you. So again, uh, check that out. The, uh, QR code is on the screen. Um, and when you go to the website, you know, you might see a button that says enroll now. You might see a button that says join the waiting list. And uh, if you see join the waiting list, definitely join the waiting list because if you are on the waiting list, uh, you're actually gonna get a week notice uh, to register and enroll to the class before everyone else uh, gets yeah, that opportunity. Yeah, notified in advance, yeah. Well, that's it for this episode of the Fundraising Masterminds podcast. We will see you next week. Take care.
So you can cut now if, if you okay, don't Okay, Matthew, on my cue. Now, this is where you start the video back again at this point. <laughs> on my cue. Everything prior to this, we're going to let Jason think it's in there. So what's, but, what's the problem with the analogy? No, no, it was a good analogy, Jason, and I really appreciate it. We needed that analogy. Well, it's... Okay. Who's a good one? No, no, no. And, are you being and, serious? Or are you joking? Yes, and we and we're gonna start and we're gonna start with and we're gonna start with.